Hello and welcome to this reading of the Business Record, Central Iowa's Business Weekly. This is the week of August 31st. I'm Pat Steele and all material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And here's our first story. Lutheran Services in Iowa got a $10,000 grant from Accenture to support LSI's immigrant education and workforce programs in Des Moines and Sioux City. IEWP includes the Career Pathways Program and community-based English language learning classes, as well as other programs to support new Iowans as they integrate into the state's workforce. The support assists new populations in understanding the workplace and in identifying and accessing the necessary resources, skills, and training to assist individuals in reaching their career and economic goals. LSI's Immigrant Education Workforce Program couples English language learning classes with job placement, career exploration, and coaching to ensure refugees and immigrants have appropriate support to increase their economic opportunities in their homes. The United States Department of Agriculture invests $16.38 million to strengthen infrastructure, create jobs in rural Iowa. Teresa Greenfield, the Department of Agriculture Rural State Development Director in Iowa, announced that the USDA, or the United States Department of Agriculture, is investing $13,435,000 in loans and $2,946,000 in grants to five projects in Iowa in an effort to strengthen infrastructure, promote business expansion, and create jobs. Among the five Iowa projects are Northwest Rural Electric Cooperative, which received a $300,000 grant to assist in the financing of a promised community health center facility expansion in Sioux Center. Southern Iowa Electric Cooperative Incorporated received a $1,640,000 loan through the Rural Economic Development Loan and Grant Program to fund a pass-through loan to Metal Wholesale, which will allow the business to purchase equipment to expand its existing product lines and increase production at its facility in Bloomfield. Southern Iowa Electric Cooperatives also received a $300,000 grant through the Rural Economic Development Loan and Grant Program to expand a revolving fund, which will partly finance the renovation and expansion of Van Buren County Hospital in Kiyosaki. And Grundy Electric Cooperative received a $10 million loan through the Electric Infrastructure Loan and Loan Guarantee Program to connect 271 consumers and build and improve 115 miles of line. The city of Irwin in Shelby County received a $1,795,000 loan and a $2,346,000 grant through the Water and Waste Disposal Loans and Grant Program to make water distribution systems improvements. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds and the Iowa Economic Department Authority announced that more than $1.4 million in grants were awarded to advance the arts, culture, and creative industries across Iowa. In all, 131 Iowa organizations and Iowans were recommended and approved for funding. The grants are matched by local and private investment and support a wide range of creative and cultural activities from innovative public art projects 
in exhibitions to concerts, festivals, and theatrical and film productions. Funding for the grants were from annual appropriations from the Iowa Legislature to the Iowa Economic Development Authority and through federal-state partnership with the National Endowment for the Arts and National Endowments for the Humanities. The Iowa Arts Council, which became a part of the Iowa Economic Development Authority on July 1st, along with Produce Iowa, the State Office of Film and Media, and the State Historic Preservation Office administered the grants. And for more information and access to a full list of grant recipients, you can check the Iowa Economic Development Authority website. Turner Construction Company Executives Barry Detimer and Zach Loy will serve as the Community Volunteer Co-Chairs for the American Heart Association's 2023-2024 Central Iowa Heart Challenge. Detimer, a construction executive, and Loy, vice president and general manager, work in Turner Construction's Iowa business unit. Both have participated in past events from the American Heart Association. The Central Iowa Heart Challenge features multiple initiatives from the American Heart Association, which are designed to help companies and individuals positively affect the health and well-being of Central Iowans through campaigns such as Cycle Nation, Heart Walk, and hard hats with heart. Central Iowa Cycle Nation is a stationary cycling event scheduled for October 5th at Coles Commons in Des Moines. The Central Iowa Heart Walk is a one or three mile group walk to boost physical and mental health that will take place on May 18th, 2024. And hard hats with heart is an initiative to raise awareness of heart disease among members of the construction industry. Four Mile Creek Project is an example of the ICON's environmental pledge. This is a story written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. You've heard about the recreation and placemaking benefits that ICON Water Trails will bring to central Iowa, but on Tuesday, ICON Water Trails partnered with Iowa Rivers Revival and Mid-American Energy Company to exercise the environmental pledge of the project. About 300 volunteers from Mid-American Energy converged on four locations along Four Mile Creek in Des Moines to clean up debris, both man-made and natural, from the creek and surrounding area. Icon Water Trails is a $125 million initiative that is being funded through a combination of a capital campaign and public money. It includes the development of projects that connect more than 80 sites along the 150 miles of rivers and creeks in central Iowa. In addition to creating access points for recreational opportunities on the water, the initiative also has an environmental component with a promise to improve water quality. Hannah Inman, the CEO of the Great Outdoors Foundation and Interim Director of ICON, said that Tuesday's cleanup in partnership with Mid-American Energy was an exciting extension of Mid-American's involvement in ICON. The energy company previously created a $5 million fund to help bring regional ICON sites online. She said they're not only a great financial partner, but also bringing their volunteers to the actual sites to help us with cleanup. It shows the extent of how these public-private partnerships work and the impact that they have. The volunteers worked at Sargent Park, Malley's Park, Four Mile Creek, and Sleepy Hollow. Catherine Kuhnert, the Vice President of Economic Connections and Integration at MidAmerican, said the cleanup was in lockstep with the company's CARES program. She said, When we look at the importance of giving back our time and talent into the communities that we serve, 
organization's activities and placemaking are huge, and ICON really hits all of those buckets. A project like ICON is transformational, so we look for ways to be engaged and participate if we can. Kunert said activities like Tuesday's cleanup can be significant contributors to a company's ability to retain and attract talent. We know that employees want to be involved in something bigger than just to structure their job, and so we know our employees are more satisfied and they see opportunities to be involved in a community beyond just their job, she said. Luke Kaufman, who's the director of the Iowa Rivers Revival, said Tuesday's cleanup was the final event of the organization's Service Squad River Cleanup Program, which is funded by a $250,000 grant from Polk County. The effort was expected to be one of the biggest cleanups he had participated in, Hoffman said. He added, while there have been bigger cleanups that have lasted over the course of a week, as far as a one-day cleanup, 300 volunteers from one company pretty much takes the cake. He said a recent cleanup of the Four Mile Community Recreation Center that involved 68 volunteers resulted in the collection of a half a ton of trash. While results of Tuesday's cleanup weren't immediately available, Hoffman said, if you extrapolate that across three and a half hours and four sites, I'm looking at several tons of trash. He said public-private partnerships are critical to helping clean up the state's waterways. He said, we literally couldn't pull this off. The ability to partner and partner well in an impactful and meaningful way, that is something that donors respect. And the general public, that's what they're looking for right now. Hoffman, who used to serve as talent manager for the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce, said engaging the community in activities such as Tuesday's cleanup can be a major factor in workforce retention. He said, study after study shows that employees who are actively involved in in causes they care about through their workplace, they're going to be more likely to stick around and want to identify with the brand of their workforce and not just be doing their daily duties. Hoffman said environmental cleanup also helps with economic development. Nobody wants to live in a dirty, trashy area, he said. If we can begin to clean up some of these areas, it will provide some tourism and other paddling opportunities that will provide tourism and economic development potential for the broader community. Inman said the cleanup and environmental pledge contained in ICON's mission will hopefully educate more people about the importance of keeping the state's waterways clean. She said it helps build the groundswell of support and helps boost our partners. It helps to not only clean the rivers, but also build the conservation ethic around our waterways. And our next story from the August 31st business record, a pulse on Iowa's entrepreneurial ecosystem, top themes from the Innovation Iowa panel discussion. This is an article written by Sarah Deem with the business record. During the recent Innovation Iowa panel discussion, panelists provided a pulse on Iowa's entrepreneurial economic, uh, um, I'm sorry, ecosystem, saying the state is in a healthy position with opportunities to double down and continue growing. The panelists for this discussion included Eric Engelman, who's the general partner of ISA Ventures, Nancy Mertulski, founder and executive director of Pi 515, Lisa Shimkat, who's the state director for America's SBC, Iowa. Alan Willitson, chief innovation officer and executive sponsor with Holmes Murphy Broker Tech Ventures. And Diana Wright, startup community builder of Great Greater Des Moines Partnership. 
and summarize below are some of the top themes from the panel. And under the first topic, Building Iowa's Momentum and Growth. Wright likened the concept of an entrepreneurial ecosystem to a garden with a foundation of soil, entrepreneurs as the seeds, and water and gardeners supporting the growth. She said she has learned through the MIT Regional Entrepreneurship Acceleration Program, uh, the acronym for that is REAP, that Iowa has really rich soil for entrepreneurs, but continuing that success means keeping up the momentum that is already built and supporting the addition of new entrepreneurs. Matroski, who is participating in the Central Iowa MIT REAP initiative, said the experience has revealed what Central Iowa is doing right and that there are nuances between Des Moines and Ames ecosystems like the resources available in Ames due to the presence of Iowa State University. In both communities, she said, everyone will need to work together to address the need to upscale a lot of people. She added, I think we have a challenge on our hands, but it's one we're taking on boldly because we know we have the capacity to do that. Shimcat said that working in a semi-government organization like the Small Business Development Center can lead to more reactionary innovation, making changes to fit the environment and new circumstances. In the last decade, she said, the Small Business Development Center has sought ways to be proactive, including starting the Rural Business Innovators Program, which aims to bring business development resources to early-stage entrepreneurs in rural areas. With a solid foundation laid, Wright said she and other stakeholders are setting a goal to think 10 times and bigger by pursuing ideas like creating a $100 million venture fund focused on ag tech. I think with MIT, it's helped us realize when we do look at all the assets in the community, what can we just dial in and just turn up a little bit that will make things easier. Next topic was entrepreneur and risk capital challenges. Willitson and Ingelman said changes to the investment environment in last year have resulted in investors giving startups competing expectations to meet. Willitson said, so many of them entered their venture with the mindset of grow, 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 and that was all around top-line growth. Now they're hearing, okay, now we don't care so much about growth. Where's your bottom line? And that's a very difficult business model to switch on a dime. Ingelman said, they're responding to investors, which is weird, like that's what's driving that behavior. Ingelman said, I think I was a little gentler and less oscillating in that we're a little more on the side of it'd really be cool to be profitable, but it is changing. But I feel like Iowa has maybe not had quite as much on-the-edge behavior. Willitson said the shift offers Iowa and the Midwest region an opening to provide stability. We've had many startups who have either delayed funding or are hoping to wait this period out, and I think there's a great opportunity for Iowa, Willitson said. We hear a lot about East Coast money and West Coast money and how they differ in that. And Iowa and the Midwest actually have an opportunity to create Midwest money that might be a little less reactionary, a little more supportive in many ways. The investor and entrepreneur activity are areas Iowa can continue to grow, panelists said. Ingelman said entrepreneurs need to have as many opportunities to get in front of investors as possible because investors and venture firms are considering the company's stage and industry as well as external factors like if it's the right time in the fund's history to invest. 
The filter's layers of Swiss cheese you just have to jump through. The odds of getting through are pretty low for most entrepreneurs, so more investor opportunities and different investors focusing on different sectors would be a huge advantage. Engelman said ISA Ventures realizes it's not the right investor for every company and, like other Iowa venture firms, works to build connections with investors out of state, including through events like Interfest. Wright said Iowa has a lower rate of new entrepreneurs, measured as percentage of the population starting new businesses compared with the nation and other Midwest states. Something that addresses this challenge is new startups spinning up companies at scale, including Dwala, Workiva, and RoboFlow. When you're at a startup, you are taking a risk. You don't know necessarily the pathway of where that business is going to go. But those people really do start to kind of multiply when we're thinking about how do we grow more entrepreneurs, Wright said. Next topic in this article, Creating Education to Employment Pathways. Workforce attraction and retention needs persist. And Shimcat said rather than putting out singular programs, Iowa should focus on comprehensive pathways that extend from education to employment. Why don't we look at a model that helps folks into the college sector to get some of that education that maybe is outside of the traditional paths that we look at and figure out then how we can get to the next step to get them into your companies. I think just having different people at the table is a start. Shimcat said telling the story of being an entrepreneur to students is also necessary because they need to know the steps to get there. It's about that path to be a part of business. How can I do that? How can that door open for me? And what do I need to do to get in the door? Is it a piece of paper? Is it an understanding of the industry, she said? By teaching people, here's how it can happen. I think that will open up a lot of doors and will get us thinking differently about addressing some of those workforce solutions. Murtasi said the journey starts with education in K-12 schools, so challenges early on can have the effects of the community down the line. In Des Moines, she said, there's chronic absenteeism issue and the rate is higher among black students. If there's ever been a moment to care, she said, I think this is the moment to care and double down and to think about who you're going to hire. Do they have the skills? Because if kids are not going to school, then we do know we have a problem. She added that she encourages a focus on work-based learning and employers welcoming students in their spaces to help them connect to their next steps in education or employment. For example, Pi 515's Tech Mentorship Program has been hosted and facilitated by Principal Financial Group and John Deere. Next topic was finding opportunities through others. Panelists shared that future opportunities for innovation in Iowa depend on learning from others in one way or another. Engelman said, everybody's getting better creating new programs, new ways to invest, new ways to retain and train new talent and build new talent pipelines, and Iowa's getting better too. The problem is we're maybe not getting better as fast as we all want to, so frankly, we need to go out and steal ideas from elsewhere. He highlighted one effort by the business consulting firm High Alpha to streamline entrepreneurs' access to investors and other resources to help grow their business so they don't have to go down several different pathways to find support. Willitson said that broker tech ventures could have primarily focused on providing capital, but several of the partners stepped back and saw how an accelerator could bring value to entrepreneurs in the ecosystem as a whole. 
Wright said that working with other Midwest regions in the MIT REAP cohort has shown her that collaboration and leaning on each other's strength is a benefit for Iowa because it can expose entrepreneurs to important partnerships and connections. Collaboration between Iowa stakeholders is necessary as well, she said. In corporations or existing businesses, they talk about how can we include startups as part of our journey. And honestly, the first thing is to invite the entrepreneur to the room and to be a part of that. And the same thing goes for all the other stakeholder groups. And again, that's a article written by Sarah Dean. It's a staff writer to Business Record, and she was covering a recent panel discussion in Des Moines. Elsewhere in the business record, Dress for Success announces keynote speaker for the 2023 Success Luncheon. Dress for Success Des Moines, a nonprofit that assists women who are entering or re-entering the workforce, announced that a local author and speaker, Alicia Economos, will headline its 2023 Success Luncheon. The event, scheduled for September 28th, raises funds to benefit the women served in the programs of Dress for Success Des Moines. Economos, a life coach, advises women on how to overcome obstacles and gain confidence to develop happier and healthier relationships so they can live their best lives. The lunch will start at 11.30 a.m. at Hilton Des Moines Downtown Hotel. Tickets can be purchased by visiting the Des Moines Dress for Success website. The mission of Dress for Success is to empower women to achieve economic independence by providing a network of support professional attire, and developmental tools to help them thrive in work and in life. The Dress for Success Des Moines affiliate was founded in 2011. LEAD DSM introduces the Greater Des Moines Leadership Institute Class of 2024. LEAD DSM announced the 40 members selected for the Greater Des Moines Leadership Institute Class of 2024. The Greater Des Moines Leadership Institute is designed to equip leaders to be effective caretakers and change makers in the community. Class members will spend the next nine months involved in a curriculum that offers a view of Greater Des Moines from divergent vantage points to increase the participants' awareness of current conditions and challenges, improve individual and group leadership skills, and help the members of the class see themselves as partners for change. Members of the 2024 class of leaders represent private, public, and nonprofit sectors within the community. Des Moines University and Buena Vista University announced a new partnership to create enhanced pathways for Buena Vista students seeking metal, medical, and health science careers. The partnership will include three reserve seats annually for Buena Vista students in Des Moines University's Doctor of Occupational Therapy program. The seats are available to the most competitive Buena Vista students in terms of grade point average, demonstrated hours of relevant observational work experiences, positive recommendations from the Buena Vista faculty, and other academic achievements. Qualifying Buena Vista students will be able to earn credits concurrently at Buena Vista and in one of four DMU degree programs. Those are Doctor of Occupational Therapy, the Doctor of Podiatric Medicine, Master of Healthcare Administration, and Master of Public Health. Buena Vista students who meet DMU's admission requirements are guaranteed interviews for consideration of admissions to seven DMU programs as long as the interview slots are available. Those include the Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, 
podiatric medicine, physical therapy, biomedical science, uh, Master of Science in Physician Assistant Studies, Master of Science in Anatomy, and Master of Science in Biomedical Sciences. The partnership agreement takes effect immediately. And now we look at uh, real estate news from the business record. This is a weekly article written by Kathy Bolton of the business record. A Des Moines tire distributor has purchased property in Northeast Des Moines that includes office space and a warehouse. Holt Sales and Service, which sells tires, wheels, axles, and other related parts, paid JSP Fiantaire $3.8 million for the property located on Dixon Street. The property on Dixon Street includes a two-story, 72,000-square-foot office warehouse that was built in 1999. The property is located uh, I'm sorry, the property is valued at $4 million. In other transactions, Wade Investments, located in Iowa City, paid West End Manufacturing $830,000 for property at 111 Levin Street in Des Moines. The property includes a 8,000-square-foot uh, warehouse that was built in 1946. Joseph and Nicole Rourke paid Joel and Lynette Worsford $1.1 million for property located on 75th Place in Johnston. Property includes a two-story, 4,600-square-foot house that was built in 2006. Todd and Caitlin Sexton paid David and Tracy Borgmeyer just over $1 million for property located on Northwest 76th Place in Johnston. The 3.3-acre parcel includes a two-story, 3,800-square-foot house built in 2003. Forrest and Margaret DeLay paid the Frederick C. James 2000 Trust $1.13 million for property located on Foster Drive in Des Moines. Property is a two-story, 4,600-square-foot house built in 1992. Mark and Julie Kenny paid Ty and Kimber Bartle just over $1 million for property on Hillside Court in Ankeny. The property includes a two-story, 3,200-square-foot house built in 2016. In Dallas County real estate news, Fast One, located in Dubuque, paid Hy-Vee Incorporated $5.9 million for property at 9150 University Avenue in West Des Moines. The 2.8-acre parcel includes a Hy-Vee Fast and Fresh convenience store and fuel pumps. The 6,500-square-foot store was built in 2022. Bradley and Jay Clewer paid Kevin Abbott and Brooke Smith $1.1 million for property located on Sunflower Creek in Urbandale. The property includes a 3,000-square-foot single-family home built in 2018. And finally, from our real estate article, Spencer Vandenberg paid New Life Center just over $1 million for property located at, on Maple Ridge in Adele. The 33-acre parcel includes a house and a barn. And that concludes our real estate report this week from Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds announced that the schedule of unemployment insurance rates used to tax Iowa employers will remain at the lowest possible level allowed by law. This marks the second consecutive year at the current rate and only the second time Iowa's rates have been at this level during the past 25 years. Iowa law requires Iowa workforce development to establish a table each year to determine the effect of unemployment tax rates on eligible employers. The trigger for deciding which unemployment insurance rate table to implement 
is derived from a formula based primarily on the balance in the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, Unemployment Benefit History, and Covered Wage Growth. The latest calculations based on this formula mean contribution rates in 2024 again will be drawn from Table 8. Last year, the switch to Table 8 from Table 7 saved employers an estimated $72.20 per employee based on employee wages totaling $36,000 or more, with employers paying the median tax rate and remaining in the same tax rank. Hi, you are listening to this week's edition of the Business Record. We thank the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to IRIS so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now back to the Business Record. Paradigm for Parity selected Joyce McDaniel, Vice President of Human Resource and Education for Unity Point Health Des Moines, as a 2023 Woman on the Rise. In honor of Women's Equality Day, Paradigm for Parity, a coalition of business leaders dedicated to tackling the corporate leadership gender gap, annually recognizes women on the rise who are also breaking barriers in corporate leadership in showing the value of gender parity, including racial equity in the workforce. McDaniel was one of 24 women who received the honor. McDaniel has a Master's of Business Administration from the University of Iowa. She became a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives in 2010, and she is a certified uh, senior human resource professional and certified diversity executive. Women need to support women in the workplace, McDaniel said in a prepared release. As much progress as we've made, there is still a lack of parity for women, especially women of color in executive leadership. Sponsorship of women is critical to progress. A dedicated sponsor not only sees and believes in talented individuals, but they also use their credibility and influence to move the talent forward. McDaniel will be honored at a ceremony on October 2nd in New York City. Krause is optimistic about proposed stadium project. This is an article written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Progress is being made in closing a funding gap for a stadium and plaza that has been proposed for southwest of Des Moines, Kyle Krause said. Krause said during a recent interview with the Business Record, I'm optimistic today. I'm happy with the progress that we've been making with the various government groups, city, county, state, and doing things. No one is against the project. It's just a question of how do we collectively fund it. Krause's comments are his first public statements about the proposed pro-Iowa Stadium and Global Plaza project since he began meeting late last spring with officials about a gap in funding. Krause Group, through its development arm, Krause Plus, has proposed building a 6,300-seat multi-use outdoor stadium on a 43-acre site located on Southwest 16th Street. The site, which was contaminated by manufacturer Dyko, has sat unused for more than 25 years. Kraus, the CEO of Kraus Group, proposed development of the stadium prior to the start of the pandemic. The estimated $95 million project has received nearly $25 million in donations from the private sector, It also has received $23.5 million from the state's Iowa Reinvestment Act and up to $7 million from Polk County. 
The city of Des Moines has also agreed to provide a financial package, although details haven't been finalized. Krauss and his wife Sharon have committed $23 million to the stadium project, which will be owned by the nonprofit Iowa Soccer Development Foundation. Private financing will also be used according to information provided in the application for state funding. Krauss would not say the amount of the funding gap. Krauss acknowledged that he and his family will benefit financially from the sale of the come and go on solar transport to Utah-based Maverick. He said he will own the USL championship franchise team that will play home matches in the stadium and will be taking a financial risk in the team's management and performance. In addition, Krauss Plus will invest up to $500 million more in real estate development in downtown Western Gateway District and the area around the stadium. A hotel, retail shops, entertainment venue, and residential are among the developments proposed in the area adjacent to the stadium. Krauss said, Right or wrong, when you look across North America, the funding model of these types of projects includes government support of these types of projects because they see it's for the greater good. We've seen it in Des Moines at Principal Park in the Wells Fargo Arena. So does the government see the stadium project as a greater good, and is it something that they want to invest in? Krauss said he hasn't set a deadline for deciding whether to continue pursuing the project or shelving it. We're close, but we're not done, he said. And then uh, Krauss went on to talk about his future plans at the Krauss Gateway Center. And this is a question posed uh, by Kathy Bolton for Krauss. What is planned for the Jefferson and Butler buildings? Krauss Group owns two buildings near the Krauss Gateway Center, the Jefferson Apartments at 1519 Grand Avenue and the Butler Building at 1501 Grand Avenue. The future of the buildings, both listed as endangered by the Des Moines Heritage Trust, is dependent on whether the pro-Iowa Stadium is developed, Krauss said. It's likely the Butler Building will include residential units on the second through fourth floors and commercial on the street level, Krauss said. The Jefferson Apartments would likely be torn down. Krauss said he understands the desire to preserve historic structures. However, it's also important to develop projects that will help Des Moines and Central Iowa grow. And then a related uh, article about Krauss, uh, deal closed, Maverick buys come and go. Kathy Bolton also wrote this article. Maverick today uh, finalized its purchase of longtime Iowa company come and go, an acquisition that makes the Utah-based group the 12th largest convenience store chain in the United States. The come and go brand name will be kept in states in which Maverick doesn't currently operate, Chuck Maglet, the CEO and chief adventure guide for Maverick. Uh, he told the business record. Maverick also plans on maintaining a corporate office in the Des Moines area, and he said come and go's nearly 5,000 employees will be retained by Maverick. Neither Maglet nor Kyle Krauss, whose grandfather and father Founded Come and Go would discuss or would disclose the sale price. Earlier this year, Reuters placed Come and Go's value at nearly two billion dollars. Maverick, whose parent is the private holding company FJ Management Incorporated, was among an undisclosed number of groups that made offers to buy Come and Go when Krauss began mauling whether to sell the 64-year-old business that includes nearly 400 stores in 13 states. 
Acquiring Kamangol was attractive because of the company's similarities, Maglet said. The company's cultures, emphasis on supporting community organizations through donations and volunteerism, and business models are all similar. It's a great fit, he said. Come-and-go stores, on average, are larger than those operated by Maverick. They are also, on average, of three years newer, Maglet said. He continued, It's really rare that you can find that many stores in that great of condition, in that great of format, and great layout that works with what we do and how we do it, Maglet said. Another selling point was that the company's store locations only overlapped in five states, We had a high level of confidence that we'd be able to get it through the Federal Trade Commission approval without too many divestitures of assets. Maglet will continue leading Maverick, Tanner Krauss, come and go CEO since 2021, and Kyle Krauss's son, will provide support during the integration of the two companies for a short period of time. Four generations of the Krauss family have led Come and Go, which was co-founded by William A. Krauss and his father-in-law, Tony Gentle, in 1959 in Hampton, Iowa. The two men opened Hampton Oil Company, a small, full-service gasoline station that sold fuel and automotive products and repaired vehicles. In 1963, the gas station began selling bread, milk, and eggs and other food products. In 1965, the company became known as Come and Go. It opened its first store in Des Moines in 1984. Kyle Krauss said both his grandfather and father would have approved the sale of Come and Go. Both would have been super proud and excited, he said. You certainly don't have to sell business to commemorate its success, but when you do, you sit back and say, wow, they would have done that. Earlier this year, word leaked that Krauss Group was considering selling Come and Go. In April, Maverick and Krauss Group announced that Maverick would acquire Come and Go as well as Solar Transport, a tank truck carrier and logistics provider that had been owned by Krauss Group. The decision to sell Come and Go was not easy to make, Krauss said. However, the time is right to diversify Krauss Group's portfolio, reduce risk associated with the convenience store industry, and provide more opportunities for Come and Go employees. We need to make sure that we have a family business for future generations, and that meant looking at opportunities for diversification, Krauss said. Also, when you combine two companies, you provide more opportunities for associates' growth. An unknown facing the convenience store industry is the electric vehicle market. In 2021, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimated that there were about 2 million electric vehicles in the United States. That's up from 170,000 a decade earlier. By 2030, the sale of electric vehicles could reach 40% of the U.S. total passenger car sales, and that came from S&P Global Mobility Forecast. Convenience stores sell an estimated 80% of fuel bought in the United States, and that's according to the National Association of Convenience Stores. As more electric vehicles are sold, there will be less need for consumers to buy gasoline. And if consumers aren't buying gasoline, they also won't be purchasing pizza slices, ice drinks, pop, and other items from convenience stores. On average, customers spent $7.52 in items purchased inside convenience stores in 2022, according to the association. Krauss said, I don't know how quickly the adaptation to electric vehicles will be, but come and go is certainly dependent on selling fuel, and that means looking at how we manage the future risk, the unknown risk, within the Krauss group. 
In recent years, Come and Go has had electric vehicle charging stations at new locations. Currently, 34 Come and Go stores have charging stations. One of the really cool things about Come and Go is that they are ahead of us in the EV, Maglet said. We're anxious to learn more about how they have approached it, what they are seeing, and how that can help Maverick out as well. In a related article then regarding the sale of Come and Go to Maverick, uh, we have a listing of the largest North American convenience store chains, and we'll take a look at uh, some of these. The number one, the largest one, is 7-Eleven. They're located in Irving, Texas. Next up is Alimentation Couch Tard. They're in Quebec. Uh, Casey's General Store here in Iowa. Murphy USA, and they're located in El Dorado, Arkansas. EG American, they're in Massachusetts. GPM Investments from Virginia. BP, and that's in Chicago, their headquarters are. Extra Mile Convenience Store, and that's in Pleasanton, California. Wawa, and that's located in Pennsylvania. Quick Trip, uh, their home headquarters is Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Quick Trip, they're located in Wisconsin. Sheets, which is located in Altoona. Pilot, uh, their home base is Knoxville, Tennessee. Loves travel stops and country stores in their Oklahoma City for their headquarters. Maverick, number 21, and of course, Come and Go at 22. So um, two or three Iowa companies within that top 10 to 15 convenience stores. Honorary roadway sign to be unveiled in Valley Junction on Friday. City officials, members of the Long family in the Valley Junction neighborhood will gather at 1.30 p.m. Friday outside the Eddie Davis Community Center located on Maple Street in West Des Moines for the unveiling of the Johnny E. Long Jr. and Barbara Long Honorary Roadway sign. The West Des Moines City Council recently approved an amended honorary roadway naming policy to honor current and former residents who have made demonstrable and positive contributions to the city during their lifetime. An application was submitted and approved unanimously by the City Council on June 5th to place honorary roadway signs on Maple Street between 1st Street and 14th Street in honor of the late John and Barbara Long. The Longs are the first residents to receive a historic honorary street designation in West Des Moines. Johnny, born in 1933, passed away in 2010, and Barbara, born in 1931 and passed away in 2021, spent the majority of their lives in Valley Junction, helped create the Eddie Davis Community Center. They served as community advocates to improve the area and to help residents receive needed resources and services. Drake University reappoints Hernandez to lead the Zimbelman College of Business. With his initial contract set to expire this fall, Alejandro Hernandez was appointed, reappointed, I should say, as Drake University's dean of the Zimpleman College of Business. As dean, Hernandez has helped implement several programs and initiatives. Those include Degree programs that explore the intersection of financial, social, and environmental outcomes, events like the recent Sustainable and Responsible Investing Conference, the Dean's Honor Roll for Social Impact to recognize students who perform at least 20 hours of individual community service in a semester, and global learning opportunities that provide students a chance to gain cross-cultural competency and learn about how other countries tackle critical societal issues. Before becoming Dean of the Zimpleman College of Business, Hernandez was Senior Vice President of Sustainability and Corporate Responsibility at Wells Fargo in Des Moines. 
The winners of the 18th annual John Papa John Iowa Entrepreneurial Venture Competition were announced at an awards luncheon on Friday. From a pool of more than 50 submissions, 13 teams advanced to the final presentation round. Following the presentations, a panel of judges consisting of representatives from the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Centers, the Small Business Development Center, VentureNet Iowa, and the Entrepreneurial Development Center deliberated over the top three award recipients. The top three winners are first place, Dakai, $40,000, the founder, Russell Karam. Dakai enables a e-commerce and promotional apparel brands to move from idea to final delivered products ethically, sustainably, and cost-effectively through a single technology platform. Dakai streamlines the apparel sourcing process by automating design, sampling, quotations, and production matchmaking, communication, auditing, approvals, payment processing, production tracking, and logistics. Second place went to Classroom Clinic, and they received $25,000. The founder is Sue Galing. She's the CEO, and uh, founder is Sue Galing, and the CEO is Ellen Beerbaum. Classroom Clinic provides school districts with timely and convenient access to children's mental health services using telehealth and related technologies. Classroom Clinic utilizes a proprietary technology platform that not only allows mental health providers to efficiently deliver care right where the students are located, but also allows mental health providers to connect, communicate, and collaborate with educators on behalf of students. In third place, Enciente Health, they received $15,000. Their president and founder is Andrew Gillamet. Enciente Health has developed a total hardware software solution to automate the body weight, bowel, and bladder charting process of resident data in nursing homes after every toileting event. Direct care staff have real-time data access to monitor and address health changes early and prevent unnecessary hospitalizations. The universal retrofit kit easily attaches to commodes that nursing homes already own, charts three essential health indicators, and collects data both in the bathroom and bedside. Five companies also received honorable mentions in $4,000 each. The competition typically advances eight companies to the finals, but accepted 13 this year because of the quality of companies applying Judy Isles, director of Iowa State University Papa John Center for Entrepreneurship, said in a news release. The honorable mention award recipients are Augment ENT, Easy to Show, PV Palette, Repaint Studios, and Stock Cropper. The John Papa John Iowa Entrepreneurial Venture Competition, along with support from the Iowa Economic Development Authority, has invested $1.2 million into participating businesses since 2020 or since 2006. The next John Papa John Iowa Entrepreneurial Venture Competition will be announced in February of 2024. And the groundbreaking ceremony for the new terminal at the Des Moines International Airport will take place from 10 to 11 a.m. on October 4th. Due to construction being active, the event will not be open to the public. In July, the Des Moines Airport Authority Board voted to approve a $445 million budget for the first phase of the new terminal. It will be built east of the existing terminal near near Fleur Drive in an effort to better handle an increase in air travel. 
the total cost, including second and third phases, could reach $770 million. Completion of the project is planned for the fall of 2026. Um, and there's uh, past issues of the business record to provide a little more details on the new terminal. Attendees of the Elevating Civility and Local Elections event on September 19th at Drake University will have an opportunity to learn about strategies to enhance civility in communities as they campaign for public office. The American Bar Association's 2023 survey of civic literacy found that 85% of Americans believe society is less civil than it was a decade ago, and they blame social media and public officials for that decline. Current elected officials and constituents will also have an opportunity to hear from West Des Moines Councilwoman Renee Hardeman, Clive Mayor John Edwards, and Urbandale Mayor Bob Endewake. The three panelists will share their experiences and thoughts on campaigning, as well as effectively dealing with increasingly diverse and polarizing issues. And more information about the event and registration is available on the Elevating Civility uh, website. And now we'll read the Elbert Files. This is a column written weekly by David Elbert of the Business Record and entitles this week's column, The Elbert Files, One Tough Question. Stefan Schmidt is a great question for anyone who wants to be president or serve in the next Congress. Schmidt is Iowa State University's semi-retired Lucan professor of political science and for my money, you won't find an academic or politician who better understands the turmoil in this country is going through. He posed a question in a recent blog under the headline, Unsustainable Costs, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. He wrote, We are facing a serious crisis as America ages, health care costs spike, and the working population shrinks. A reader responded, We have the same problems the Chinese face, declining youth, escalating elderly, health care crunch, and slowing economy. Schmidt drilled down deep and put his finger on what is an increasingly uncomfortable truth for the baby boom generation. A quarter of Medicare spending is on services in the last year of life, and 40% of that 25% on the last 30 days. What to do, he asked. He framed the question against a harsh backdrop of recent history. He wrote, death panel is a political term that originated during the 2009 debate about federal health care legislation to cover the uninsured, Schmidt wrote, adding, Sarah Palin coined the term when she charged that proposed legislation would create a death panel of bureaucrats who would carry out triage. Our own Senator Chuck Grassley got mileage out of it at time by stating, we should not have a government program that determines you're going to pull the plug. On grandma. Democrats countered that nothing in the Affordable Care Act was even close to Palin's death panel or Grassley's pull the plug on grandma. But Palin's mention of death panels pretty much put an end to the public conversation, which is unfortunate because families have versions of that conversation all the time. I know we did in mine. My mother was in and out of the hospital three times during her final year. And while there are no heroic efforts to extend her life, the medical bills were nonetheless impressive. All were covered by Medicare. Mom's hospital stays cost the family nothing. And she probably could have stayed longer except that she wanted to die at home, which she did with a hospital bed and hospice care, also fully covered by Medicare. 
I would hope that all families in similar circumstances would appreciate what the government does for us by paying those medical bills, although it probably goes over a lot of people's heads. I suspect that few of us realize how much it all costs, which makes many of us hypocrites when we blindly demand cuts in federal spending. The real problem, Schmidt pointed out, is that when you add up the amount of the federal budget spent on Social Security, that's 21%, and other income security programs, 13%, veterans benefits, which is 5%, Medicare, which is 13%, and Medicaid and other health care benefits, that's 14%, the total of all those amounts to 66% of all federal spending. The next two big pieces of defense, and that's 13% of the federal budget, and interest on the debt, that's 10%, followed by education, 4%, transportation, 2%, community development, 2%, and other, including agriculture, 4%. As things stand today, roughly 20% of the federal budget is financed by borrowing, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that figure isn't sustainable. At some point, we're going to have to figure out how to dial back a lot of spending, and that includes Medicare and Medicaid, maybe even Social Security, if we wait too long. The next time you see a presidential candidate or someone running for Congress, ask if they're willing to dial back end-of-life spending in Medicare. They will respond that they only want to cut fraud and waste, but that's a bogus answer because there isn't that much fraud and waste. One more thing, you'll need to ask the question, in person, because Schmidt said it won't come up in debates or from reporters. He'd said, too hot to touch, easier to talk about forbidding bad books in schools. And again, that's a column written by David Albert of the Business Record. Uh, this is a next article's preview, 90 Ideas in 90 Minutes. Uh, the Business Record is proud to once again produce one of our most popular events and publications, 90 Ideas in 9 Minutes. Nine Iowa leaders shared 10 of their best ideas, both big and small, that can be applied to any organization. And here's kind of a sneak peek at what these speakers quickly said. Joshua Barr said uh, he's the chief strategist and president of Raising the Bar. And he said the three-legged stool of society. Shakina Fountain, senior DII associate at White's company, said intentionally seek new experiences regularly. It sharpens your problem-solving skills. Rochelle Keck, who's the president of uh, Grandview University, said self-fluency. Caleb Knudsen, senior planner at Mid-Iowa Planning Alliance, said wisdom from the unlikely place. Liz Lidget said, and she's the founder of Liz Lidget Gallery and Design, go against the corporate mode and add a splash of color. Dr. Trish Newland, the president and CEO of Unity Point, said embrace technology that contributes to your success. Jeff Rommel, Senior Vice President Nationwide, said, always be home for dinner. Scott Sipker, filmmaker and Mr. Iowa Nice Guy, said, surround yourself with talented people. Emily Westergaard, the CEO by Degree Foundation, said, create more equitable opportunities. So that's a quick look at a business record feature regarding great ideas and great tips from community leaders. And a finally, final article of this week's business record, Greg Kimmel, a 38 veteran of Hy-Vee Incorporated and the produce manager of the Utica Ridge Hy-Vee in Davenport, received the Retail Produce, produce Manager Award from the International Fresh Produce Association. 
Kimmel is one of 15 produce experts from the United States and Canada being recognized for creative merchandising techniques in Produce Iowa. And that's a look at the business record for August 31st, 2023. You've been listening to this uh, report on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service of Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Pat Steele, and thank you for sharing your time with IRIS. Thank you.